millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together, we're Pete and Gary's Military History. Podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Gary Bain and once more I'm joined by Peter Hart. Hello. And today, Pete, we're going to continue with the fifth in our series on the Fife and Four for Yeomanry, which uh, is a, a series that accompanies the publication of your new book. Coincidentally, yes. Burning Steel, A Tank Regiment at War. And uh, that was out on the 12th of May, dear well, listeners. Well, hopefully most of our listeners will have already rushed to buy one. Well, if not, they've still got time. They have, they have. Although, surely it could be almost sold out by Almost, yeah. almost. Yeah. So, where did we... flying pig, Gary. <laughs> so, where did we uh, leave our heroes, Pete? Well, we left them. Uh, we, we were doing, uh, last time, Operation Epsom, and, and we're doing today Hill 112, which is a bit of a coda. It's part of Operation Epsom, but we're sort of dealing with it separately because it, it, it's, it's easy to identify. The uh, the second Fife and Forfer Yeomanry had a dispiriting day, really. We mentioned that on the 27th of June. Uh, they, they'd, uh, the only good bit of news, in a sense, was that uh, was that uh, the second uh, Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders had done brilliantly a sort of independent infantry action. They'd captured the bridge over the Odon at Tourmervale and carved out a whole 200-yard diameter bridgehead, which had been reinforced by the motorised 8th Rifle Brigade. They're real heroes in this whole action we're talking about. Followed up by the 23rd Hussars and then the motorised infantry of the 159th uh, brigade. That's the uh, infantry, uh, motorised infantry brigade of the 11th Armour Division, which uh, the 54 fighters are in. And they'd expanded the whole bridge, uh, bridgehead to take up defensive positions around, we'll, we'll put a map up, Baron, Sur, Odon, and Tormavel, uh, to, to itself. Uh, now, on 28th of June, the whole, that's the day after, the day after the Lord Mayor's show, the 28th of June, the whole of the 11th Armoured Division, the rest of the Armoured Division, would cross the Odon and drive on across the high ground, which is dominated by Hill 112, towards the Orn River. Uh, the Orn gives you the Orn. Mm. Sorry, I wasn't listening. Can you repeat that? <laughs> yes, certainly, Gary. Privately. <laughs> now, the battle was in the balance, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Because it? although the 15th Scottish Division and the 11th Armoured Division had made some progress... German reinforcements were beginning to arrive. But those German reinforcements have got a big problem. Uh, 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 well, what, what, why aren't the German 
reinforcements? Why, why don't they bring success? What's the problem they're facing? Because the thing about war is that there's problems on both sides. So what problems are the Germans, the German high command facing? Well, the pressures that were imposed on them were such that instead of concentrating their forces for a decisive counterattack, infantry and tank units were hurled into battle as soon as possible. They were attacking unsupported and hence open to serious losses. Now, now what was so, so German success in the past, uh, the Blitzkrieg warfare method, what have that been based on? Well, it had all been founded on their tanks, motorised infantry, air power and artillery being all meshed together to achieve their objectives. Air power had already been wrested from them, but now the other elements were beginning to have to fight separate battles due to the Allied pressure. Just the, the strength of the Allied pressure, yeah. Now, so they had to do something. And on the 28th of uh, June, the Germans counterattack. Uh, so what do they do? They push forward on either side of what has become known as a Scottish corridor. That's uh, around the road leading from Schur towards Tormover. And basically, uh, that, that's because it, that, that the 15th Scottish Division had, had taken it. Uh, on the eastern side, they st- strike along the Khan villas bocage road through the village of Mouan. And, and, and that, that's crashing to the left flank of the, of the Scottish corridor. Um, what happens with that attack? Well, they achieved some initial success, but they were pounded mercilessly by the mass guns of the Royal Artillery, and the attack was in fact thwarted. And this is a this is a theme we're going to develop. Well, we we did the artillery, the five and four fire yeomanry. Uh, sorry, the second, the, <laughs> the South Knots Hussars. Uh, Funny, uh, you've got a book about them. I have, yeah. Forgotten that one. I have no idea what that's called. <laughs> close to the edges when I use At it. At close range. That's it. Uh, but we've done that. And, and, but, but one of the things is that artillery power is super important, uh, to the, to the Allies and to the British in particular, uh, because it's always there. It's not like air power that would sort of, you fly over, drop your bombs and go away. Uh, Artillery's always there, isn't it? Pounding away. Now, um, there, there's another attack, though. What's that? What other attack do the Germans launch? I, I think I can guess where that is. Well, <laughs> that's on the right flank of the salient, driving in on Granville-sur-Odon, which had been finally captured by the 9th Cameronians, otherwise known as Scottish Rifles, at just after 12 o'clock. They had scant chance to consolidate their position before the German attack hit them hard. The fighting, that would rage all day. Now, do you think this is uh, uppermost in the minds of the lads from the second five and four for Yeomanry? Um, Well, I wouldn't have thought so. After the recent hard fighting, they were focused on getting as much sleep as possible, eating their rations and attending to uh, other necessities of life. What's that a euphemism for? (laughs) Well, going to the loo, sorting themselves out, yeah. Um, oh, those necessities of life. <laughs> now, not sex and drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> oh, dear. So, on the morning of the 28th of June, the 2nd, 5th and 4th Yeomanry are ordered forward. Uh, no, they don't go to Moorn or Granville. That's the, the left or right flank. They're going further. They go across the O'Donnell to the very, very tip of the Scottish. Oh, why did I try a Scottish accent? Corridor salient. Uh, they, they, they would use the Tomerville Bridge and push across the high ground and they were meant to secure the Orne River bridges. That never happens. So it, but it's the objective. Um, now, the, this bold undertaking, it, that reflected Pip Roberts' optimism. Is that, uh, is that Lieutenant General Pip Roberts? Yeah, I know him as Pip. 
Oh, hang on, or is it Major? Oh, yeah, it's Lieutenant. Oh, no, it's Major General. Oh, God. I'm having a bad day at the office. Whatever his rank, he was very optimistic. <laughs> he was. Uh, that they had now optimistic broken... Optimistic th- Pip, they used to call <laughs> That they'd now broken through the German defence lines and that the way ahead would now be relatively clear. So, ahead of these uh, second five and four fire yeomanry, the the 23rd Hussars, they're ordered to move up onto Hill 112 itself. Now, well, tell me a bit about Hill 112, because we've both been there in one of our Normandy visits. It's described as a whaleback hill. It's it's barely noticeable in itself. We've been up on it. It it isn't a a sort of massive hill, is it? No, and it's a gentle incline, isn't it? but it, but it was a fluke of geography which offered excellent views over much of the contested battlefield. So which way can you see from there? I remember looking at a couple of things up there. What what, what what's the most obvious thing when you're up there? Well, it, looking towards Khan itself, across the uh, Carpique airfield and over to the Orne River. So you've got a good view. It's an important tactical uh it's high ground. High ground, yeah. yeah. Now, the 23rd Azars, they're, they're additional to them up there on the one, Hill 112 is the <laughs> the 8th Rifle Brigade. And they take up defensive positions in an orchard that's on the summit. Uh, and we we went up right. It's very interesting up there. It is. Uh, now, who else? Uh, who else might be getting involved up there, though? Yeah, it's rather unfortunate that the Germans are also beginning to climb the hill, pushing up from Esquire on the southern Esquire. slopes. Esquire, <laughs> Esquire, <laughs> very good. Yeah, they're 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 also coming. Um, and a squadron of the uh, second Fife and four for Yeomanry come into contact with uh, with the Panzers. Uh, what do they identify them as, Gary? <laughs> Uh, well, as as always, they're tigers. Yeah, everything's a tiger. Everything's a tiger. And uh, you're going to r- r- uh, tell us what uh, Captain Douglas Hutchison, Pinky Hutchison. I don't know why I like that nickname. Why was he called Pinky? Because his complexion. He was quite a chubby lad. Uh, and, oh, sorry. Yes. How did mm. you get to do this one? Uh, anyway, he was uh, headquarter troop A squadron. A great lad. The whole brigade went across and spread out on the slopes of Hill 112, the summit of which remained in dispute. The Germans were very reluctant to yield the summit. We were astride a road going over one side of it. There was a ridge in front and I got hulled down. I remember seeing, quite a long way ahead, I wasn't sure whether it was a self-propelled gun or a tiger, dug in on the far side. I bracketed the thing and I hit it. It seemed to go up in smoke. It was at long range. What you could do with a deliberate shoot like that was you corrected the line after your first shot, pretty accurately, and then you simply bracketed and generally within three rounds you would be on the target. It was quite a handy weapon with HE. You could use it in two ways, either explosion on hitting or you could do an air burst. When there was a delayed action, the shell came down and hit the ground in front, bounced up and then burst. Now, uh, so during this fighting, the 23rd Hussars, they're pulled back to replenish their ammunition uh, and the 3rd Royal Tank Regiment moves up onto Hill 112 while the se- uh, 2nd, 5th and 4th uh, 4th uh, Yeomany shuffle round to take their place to the left. Uh, now, um, as they move round to the left, if you if you see what I mean, they, they, they come within easy range of the German artillery that, that's based round about the Carpiquet uh, airfield. Uh, now, up on that summit, it, it, as you remember, Gary, it's pretty wide open. There are some trees, but it's wide open up there, isn't it? And, and what does that mean if there's uh, artillery and uh, what, what's the problem? 
Well, it, it becomes apparent that the tanks can't survive. They were excruciatingly visible. Especially the Shermans. They're so high, aren't they? And hence vulnerable to fire from 88mm and other anti-tank guns that the Germans had deployed well back on the reverse slopes. Yeah, but the same problems, of course, are facing the German tanks. They're also super visible. They're also unable to get a grip. And I'm going to tell you what, Oberstfuhrer, Oberscharfuhrer. Yeah, can I just say, I'd I'd never heard of Oberscharfuhrer before. No idea what it means. So I had a look, and uh, it means senior squad leader. It was a Nazi paramilitary rank that existed between 1932 and 1945, which was first used by by the brown shirts, the Sturmabteilung. Ooh. But, um, yeah, it's a very unusual. I'd never heard of it. And you're going to tell us what Oberscharfuhrer Willi Kretschmar of the 12th SS Panzer Regiment says. When we'd approached within three to 400 metres, we spotted retreating English soldiers between the trees. We fired the turret and forward machine guns into the wooded terrain. At approximately 100 metres from the wood, we changed from the wedge into a staggered line. That means thr- th- a wedge-shaped formation of the tanks into a staggered line, since the opening in the forest was only 80 to 100 metres wide. The incline on our left was covered with bushes and trees. I was now driving as the Point Panzer. Our direction was approximately northwest. The gun was pointing at 12 o'clock. An anti-tank shell was ready in the barrel. We cautiously made our way forward along the small forest, which was 150 to 200 metres wide. At the end of the forest, I ordered an observation stop. I searched the terrain to the right in front of us with my binoculars for tanks and pack. That's a P-A-K, anti, that's the anti-tank guns. Since I did not spot anything suspicious, I ordered, Panzer, march! Ooh. After a drive of only 10 to 15 metres, there was a sudden bang. Sparks were flying and we noticed a hit from the right, three o'clock direction. I shouted at the director, Sturman Schneider, backward, Martin. (laughs) He reacted at lightning speed, threw the panzer into reverse and backed into the cover of the forest at full throttle. Not one second too soon, otherwise the British would have nailed us directly. Immediately in front of our bow, anti-tank shells ripped ugly black furrows into the green grass. Now the forest came back to life. Fire from rifle to machine guns was pinging against the armour. We were covered by mortar artillery fire. We did not hold back either and briskly returned the fire as we were backing away. We returned to our assembly area without any losses. There we inspected our damages. A clean hit gone through between the engine and fighting compartments, approximately 25 centimetres below the turret. Except for a small shrapnel stuck in my right thigh, we all escaped with just a scare. So basically, they got up there, tried to get onto the summit, and and, and met with a barrage of fire, uh, were hit, although not damn badly, and go away. I I I think I might have moaned more about a small shrapnel piece stuck in my right thigh than he did, but there you go. Now, throughout all of this, the men of the 8th Rifle Brigade, they endured in their trenches in the orchard, although they suffered terrible casualties. And they hold on there all night. They don't go back. Uh, uh, But at night, the 2nd, 5th and 4th of Germany, they lager on the backward slopes of Hill 112 uh, and they disperse the, the camps broken up just before dawn and they return back up to their forward positions. On 29th of June, the, the Germans strike back hard again. Uh, by this time, who's arrived, Gary? 
It's the 2nd Panzer Corps, that's the 9th and 10th SS Panzer Divisions. And after a long and increasing laborious journey from the Eastern Front, harassed throughout by Allied, Allied air power and the consequent damage to the transport infrastructure. Yeah, the, the bridge is being damaged, everything. Uh, I mean, this is what air power gives you, isn't it? It, it uh, yeah. Uh, but that- once more, these precious reinforcements, which were irreplaceable military assets, they're going to be flung into action with scant chance to rest, reorganise, recce or coordinate with the intended supporting arms. Now, they planned two thrusts, two major thrusts. And when I say planned, hastily is probably the word you need just in front of that. So what what are these plans? Well, the first of them is the 9th SS Panzer Division would attack the western flank of, of the Scottish Corridor, driving towards Schur. Uh, now, that's not all. What's the second thrust? Well, the 10th SS Panzer Division, they would hit the 11th Armoured Division clustered around Hill 112. Now, did the British have any idea what was coming? Well, they had some inkling of this from the uh, ultra-intelligence, but the tight security restricted that knowledge to the higher echelons of command, down only as far as General Miles Dempsey of the uh, Second Army. Yeah, this is the thing about Ultra. If you sh- if you show your hand, if you show that you know what the jo- the- they're doing, then they'll 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 they'll, they'll realise the codes are being broken. Uh, we did a podcast on Tommy Flowers, who was key towards with uh, with Colossus in breaking those codes. But this is the problem. So who does Dempsey tell, and does he really tell him what's going on? No, I mean, he does warn Lieutenant General Richard O'Connor of the 8th Corps that German forces are building up. He could not, or perhaps did not, press home the true nature of the threat. And it was only late on the 28th of June that he issued a direct order to withdraw from the Odon Bridgehead. Now, sadly, or perhaps, I mean, whatever, for whatever reason, uh, Richard O'Connor doesn't immediately respond, does he? I mean, he's still perhaps hoping to secure a significant breakthrough. And he is not made aware of why Dempsey's ordering this, is he? Because the cost of the security. Uh, so, so what? So, uh, what does he do? Does he pass on the orders? Or? No, I mean he fails to pass on uh, Dempsey's orders to his divisional commanders. So, Pip Roberts, commanding the, the major general, commanding Eleventh uh, uh, Armored Division, isn't told, is he? No, and and instead of this. Um, O'Connor simply moved up more of the 43rd Wessex Division to take over the defence of the eastern flank of the Scottish Corridor, while the 15th Scottish Division guarded the western flank. Pip Roberts was told to temporarily suspend the advance on the Orne River and, for the moment, hold his ground. But that's not what they'd been ordered to do by uh, by Dempsey. Uh, Dempsey, yeah, this is interesting, yeah. Now, what happens when the German counterattacks uh, crunch home? Um, uh, well, the, the 44th Royal Tank Regiment is heavily engaged, fighting off the attacks of the 10th SS Panzer Division. Now, where's that? That's on Hill 113. Numbering's fantastic. Imaginatively named. Yeah, yeah, I think just to the east of Hill 112. These are not big hills, are they? Um, the uh, how, how much higher than uh, than 112 do you think it is? One. <laughs> Metre I'm going for, but it could be a foot. Uh, we've had this problem before. Why did I ever... <laughs> it exposes our ignorance, doesn't it? But it's not much higher. Um, now, what, what else do they do as part of this attack? 
Well, they also hit the Germans, uh, also hit the second Argyles defending the Gavras Bridge crossing and the uh, surrounding wooded area. So that's so that's the the, the that's the tenth uh, uh, Panzer Division. Uh, what are the, what are the ninth Panzer Division? Who they smash into? Well, they smashed into the 7th Seaforth Highlanders in Valtru and the 9th Cameronians in Granville-sur-Odon. Now, these attacks are, broadly speaking, they're, they're held back. They're, they're withstood. Um, who do you think is crucial to this? Well, it's, it's in part thanks to the massed batteries of the Royal Artillery, whose concentrated fire helped break up the German assaults and chewed up newly arrived units before they even got into battle. So before they can sort of get, even get to the actually fighting at the front, they're being chewed up on their way in. Yeah, the RAF also played a useful role as the weather improved. Of course, yeah, because they can see what's going on and they can bomb the buggers, uh, so to speak. Bomb the buggers. It's a technical term, the oh, RAF right, okay. use it. I, of course, wouldn't use that. Now, these flanking attacks well might have doomed the 2nd, 5th and 4th Yeomanry, isolated as they were, five miles deep into German territory in the bridgehead over the Odon. But its eyes were concentrated for the most part on Hill 112. So they're not really aware or interested. Well, they might be interested, but they don't really know what's going on behind them. They're, they're just interested on, on the fight for Hill 112. It, the battle's fluctuating. Uh, uh, and, uh, do you know, let's play correct. Let's let's. Let's. I mean, this is about the second four for yeomanry, but let's play play due tribute to someone else. Who is it who really, really holds that summit? Well, it's the Eighth Rifle Brigade who we mentioned earlier. They held on to the positions with uh, a grim determination. Now, at this point, we'll take a short break. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, so, uh, where were we? Where were we? Well, uh, we're, we're in another day. Uh, another day has come, uh, come upon us. Uh, and, and in the morning, the uh, sea squadron begin to climb up the hill. Now, uh, they've got A squadron on their left, while B squadron is back at uh, the village of Baron. 
Now, uh, let, let's. Uh, I'm, I'm, this is quite exciting for me, really, because I, 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 if it, I'm going to be Charlie Workman again, uh, Lieutenant Charles, Charlie Workman, Charles, whatever, First Troop, C Squadron. He was a great veteran to interview. I still remember being in his house. What a wonderful man he was. Um, and that morning, uh, the morning of the, this is the morning of the 29th. The, the, as a German counterattack is going, and uh, uh, as he approaches, to go back up the hill one one two. He gets a bit of a warning, doesn't he? A bit of an inkling that uh, things are going to get a bit tougher as this this bloody great German armored division start to attack. Uh, and he says, "This I met a bunch of infantrymen running down like mad, headed by a major." I said to him, "What's going on?" <laughs> Seems to become northern, then man. Oh, he said, it's hell up there. And he dashed away past me and disappeared. Hill 112 wasn't a massive hill, but it was big enough so that when we were on top, we could see what was going on on the other side. When I got up on top of Hill 112, down there was a road full of Germans. Right, let's have a crack. We were banging away at them. There was no tanks, but we brewed up one or two lorries about half a mile from us. Not all that far from us. There was a lot of mortar fire and Nebelwerfers fired from a lorry. No tactical skill could avoid that if a mortar shell came down. You didn't know where the mortar was. You knew roughly where they were coming from. You could hear a shell coming, but with a mortar you had no indication at all. Just woof! And usually someone would buy it. We saw one or two Nebelwerfers down on that road. We fired at them and they shoved off. It was a rocket that made an awful scream and then bang, bang, bang. It's a multi-barreled uh, rocket launcher, basically, or mortar fire thing. Yeah. We have explained how uh, uh, there was a large contingent of English that had joined the fire from the right. fire. <laughs> Charlie, so, Workman so. Would, Charlie Workman, I think, was from Glasgow. I do apologise <laughs> for a wavering in accents. Now, Robert Nurse was the gunner in the crew of Lieutenant Eric Lamont on the slopes of Hill 112 when they thought they had an opportunity and knock out one of the German tanks. And this is what trooper Robert Nurse of Two Troop has to say. We were overlooking Carpique Aerodrome on a forward slope. There was a big wood across the other side of the valley and suddenly four, I think they might have been tigers, started crossing our bowels from right to left. Lamont directed me on the leading one with a 75mm and I fired. I watched the trace and it hit the bloody thing. The turret, it went boom and bounced off. We saw these four barrels coming round. Driver, reverse! And we went back over the hill. They fired at us, but all four missed. We were back on the other side of the hill before you could say knife. Now, that's sort of the reverse of the story the German told. Almost identical, isn't it? Um, now, uh, what, 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 what sort of bigger truth is, is hidden in that, uh, in that whole story told by Robert Nurse? Well, it, it tells the, uh, the dispiriting truth about the 75mm armament of the Sherman. Even a direct hit with an armour-piercing shell would achieve nothing against the armour of the latest German tanks, even from the side. So what's their best chance to disable them, to, 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 take, out a, to take out one of the more modern panzers? Well, you've got to disable their tracks or hit them from the rear. It could take three or four Shermans operating together to take out a panther. They mean take out. Or even out. While many considered that the Tiger was best dealt with by the typhoons of the RAF. 
And in contrast to that, the Sherman Firefly was proving more that, effective. That was more effective, yeah. And uh, there's a story in the regimental history that I've always liked, which uh, uh, this is the, the regiment by Sellers. Uh, you, you can look it up. It, it's an old-fashioned regimental history, but it is a good one. And they proudly boast that uh, Sergeant William Hurd knocked out a, a tiger in his Firefly. Now, this is the beauty of oral history because it's not quite the same as uh, the official record sometimes. Now, his gunner was a chap called John Scott, uh, but he also had a driver, and his driver was amusingly to me called Trooper Harold Wilson and uh, of 4 Troop C Squadron. And he, he, he gives a, a sort of rather more sort of down-to-earth version. I can't do it, a Harold Wilson accent, sadly. <laughs> and it might he was Scottish, so I'm not going to do it. Harold Wilson was Scottish. Yes, it's a little load fact. The, we shot up a tank with a 17-pounder. We, we were anything from 1,000 to 1,200 yards from this tank. It certainly wasn't a Tiger or anything like that. It would have been one of the Mark IVs, which is not quite what it says in the... Uh, no, but it, it probably was one of the Mark IVs. It, it, yeah, that's that, the, the first most... time that anybody's actually said it wasn't a Tiger. <laughs> yeah. Now... Um, uh, the, the, and the, another story uh, the, about a firefly armed with this more powerful 17-pounder is um, Terry Boyne's temporarily acting as a gunner. He's, we, we have a lot of quotes from Terry. And he also claimed a success firing at a Mark IV, probably somewhat lower down the hill. I was unable to accurately locate this. And this is one thing to remember. We can only... Sometimes they didn't know where they were and they don't know what time it is a day and it, you have to just do, look for the balance of probability anyway this is you're going to say what trooper terry boyne for troop a squadron says we had a report on our radio from one of the dug-in tanks on our left that something was moving behind a hedge and it was moving in our direction this had happened frequently you'd fire at something you thought was there and if you'd check you'd find it was a cow no doubt a lot of cows used to get killed like that so we fired a couple of he high explosive, to punch a little hole in the hedge. We were scanning this area. I held the gun near enough where I thought it might be if it was moving. It was only a guesstimate. With the gun sitting as it was, through the hedge came the nose of a tank. Edge on, oblique, with the tank climbing, climbing up to get over the bank. It just popped up in my sights. We're only talking about 80 yards, not far. I didn't have to do anything other than hit the button. I banged the shot off, which was armour-piercing. It hit it right behind the sprocket. It was a Mark IV. It had small cupola on the top, and it was actually moving. The commander must have been moving it around as I fired. He must have looked straight down the barrel of the Firefly. That must have been his vision. A load of dust went up from around it from the impact of it. It rolled back, and we punched another shot right in. That'd be the last thing that that poor German, well, German commander ever saw. This is the thing about this fighting. Do you not get the sort of tenseness of it? Because if you make a mistake, go through a hedge and there's someone waiting for you on the other side that you can't see. And, and it's sort of almost like creeping around and, and you don't know what's happening. And the tense, the, I mean, there must have been a lot of nervous breakdowns or, or, or a lot of PTSD triggered by the sheer tension of it all. Now, as the long day wore on, A Squadron relieved C Squadron up on the top of Hill 112. As night fell, they remained in situ rather than falling back to the lager. Now, that's because they have to stay to support the 8th Rifle Brigade, don't they? Because it's getting a bit tense up there. So, once again, you're going to say what Trooper Terry Boyne... And this is another stress-filled story uh, for Troop A Squadron. 
It came on the air that they couldn't get the supplies through because the Germans had cut the bridge again on the path back. So we were left up there. At night, the weird thing was the fact that the Germans were down the slope and you could hear them refueling their vehicles, throwing cans about, hear them actually talking. I suppose the wind was in the right direction. The bit that really got you worried was when you heard the engines start and the old tracks start rolling. You're not sure whether it's coming up, going down or whatever. And then after a minute or so, they'd stop and switch off. It's a war of nerves. Now, uh, that what? <laughs> Can you imagine that, Gary? No, frankly. Um, now, little did Terry Boyne that. There he is in his tank with his crew, the rest of the crew. Um, he's a, it's a, a, it's a four man crew because, uh, because it's a, a, a firefly. Um, well, if it's a game of poker, then the British High Command are just about to fold, aren't they? So what happens? That's the night of 29th of June, night 29th of June going into 30th of June. What's the situation? It's delicately balanced, isn't it? The 8th Rifle Brigade, they're still clinging on to the top of Hill 112. The 29th Armoured Brigade was supporting them, and so far was withstanding the Panzer Now, what about the Scottish Corridor further back? Is that holding? Well, that's now defended by both the 15th and 43rd Divisions, and they are just about holding on, despite serious pressure. So uh, they're just about holding. They're holding the Scottish Corridor. They're holding the Hill 112. But then at uh, 2200 hours on 29th of June, uh, there's there's a real bombshell, isn't there? Major General Pip Roberts is ordered to pull back the 29th Armoured Brigade with immediate effect. Now this is uh, this is a bit of a surprise. Uh, do you think this is controversial? I, I'm, funny enough, it is controversial, uh, but I, I'm not I'm not sure it should be. What do you think? Well, from one perspective, it seemed that the bridgehead over the Odon and Hill One One Two, which had been paid for with uh, blood and guts, was now to be given up without a fight. But the corridor was precariously thin, only two thousand five hundred yards at best. Two thousand five hundred yards. Just wide. Yeah. So that's just over a mile. And it would take only a small penetration by the German counterattacks to pinch it out, leaving the units in the Odon bridgehead high and dry. Well, this is the thing that the ground might have cost a lot of blood and guts, as, as you said. But uh, but uh, if what if, what if something went wrong? Well, a lot more could be could have been lost if anything went wrong. Attracting the attention of the uh, German Panzer divisions was surely only a valid policy if the attacks were held without calamitous setbacks. So well, um, yeah, the the twenty ninth Armoured Brigade is in a very very vulnerable vulnerable position. What if it had been cut off? What if They've been Yeah, I mean, on balance, General Miles Dempsey probably took the sensible decision and certainly Pinky Hutchison agrees. And this is what Captain Douglas Hutchison of HQ Truck A Squadron has to say. They were nervous about the corridor being uh, behind us being cut and to have a whole brigade of tanks, marooned he means, over on the far side of the Odon. They had a lot of 88mm anti-aircraft guns on Carpiquet Aerodrome. It could have developed in quite a nasty way if the corridor was cut. That's what the Germans tried very hard to do. They weren't successful, happily, and we were withdrawn during the night over a captured bridge. Now, 
they picked their time, didn't they? They did, they did it carefully, and, uh, and under the cover of that night, they, they were able to retire. They're in good order, they cr- went back across the Odon, and they went all the way back to Nori-en-Bassin, which they, they got to at first light on the 30th of June. Now, by this time, they're all completely and utterly exhausted. Um, they're, they're, they're just, well, what's the technical term we often use for this? Buggered. Now, Charlie Workman, he remembered the awful state that he was in. Uh, These are young, fit men, but sleep deprivation and prolonged combat had driven them to the very edge. And this is what Lieutenant Charlie Workman of 1 Troop C Squadron says. We never put hatches over. We always kept our head and... He means the command, tank commanders. Uh, We always kept our head and shoulders out. Map around my neck and use your binoculars. In fact, at first, we wore our cheese cutter hat, uh, our ordinary cap, until we began to realise, with the heavy mortaring and the Nebelwerfers, we'd better wear these steel helmets. One was on a constant lookout. We had a rough time of it. These guys weren't that far away, so we never left the tank at all. We stayed put. I was in the tank for five days. Everyone else in the tank is seated. The driver, his co-driver, the wireless operator, your gunner. The tank commander's got a small sea pulls down this sort of spring-loaded thing. Just a little thing. In the nature of, of things, you don't really sit on a seat when you're in action. You're standing. I was in the tank for five days. I couldn't get out. I had to be pulled out and my ankles had swollen right up. Wow. Uh, what about Pinky Hutchinson? How's he doing? Well, he's also at the end of his tether. Extreme fatigue. It takes many forms. And this is what Captain Douglas Hutchinson of HQ Troop A Squadron says. I was so damn tired that I was beginning to see things and my illusion was that everything I saw was a dead cow. There were a lot of dead cows about the place. In that sort of weather, their corpses were swelling up, the legs sticking up. Anything I saw moving turned into a dead cow. This was pure fatigue. I'd had, no, very little sleep for four days. Now, um... So they're back, and 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 this next story is a terrible story that I'm going to tell. Um, there were there were uh, Jack Rex was one of the lads. He's a trooper in HQ squadron, and he 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 was just he was just off. He was going to the latrine, Gary. He, that's what he was doing. He was going to find a little bit of privacy for a latrine break with his shovel, and he, he found an unpleasant memento of the past fighting. And this next tale is not nice, is it? He says this: I went out to this orchard into a cornfield. As I went, there was a big corn ring. I thought, well, that's funny. Being a farmer's son, I'd seen these rings in grass fields, which are caused by a fungi that grows in a circle. But I'd never seen it in a cornfield, and it was a perfect circle. The corn was trampled down about a yard wide. When I finished, I walked over, and I was more surprised to see the inside of the circle sprayed pink. I thought, that's funny. So I walked round, and when I got to the other side, there was a young German laid dead. He had his hands round his neck. Something had hit his jugular, jugular vein, a little bit of shrapnel or a bullet, and he tried to put a tourniquet on, and all he had was a German newspaper. He'd run round in circles half a dozen times. The paper had got soaked, then it had broke, but he was still holding it when I found him. The seams of his trousers had split with his body swelling up. Because I found him, they made me in charge of the burial party. We buried him more or less where he was laid. I've often thought about it. Nobody put anything on his grave to say who he was, never took his discs off, just buried him like a dog. He had a photo of himself standing with what looked like his sister, dad and mother outside of a log cabin in amongst the pine trees. You could see mountains in the background. 
Even though he was the enemy, I still think about him. He was only a bit of a lad. Well, it's a horrible quote, isn't it? And uh, it's just his family. They'd never know what happened to him, would it? They'd, they'd never have a, a grave to visit or anything. I mean, it's not the end of the world, I suppose. They, being dead is the main thing. He's a loss to his family. But it is quite sad, isn't it? Yeah. Now, the withdrawal of 29th Armoured Brigade, that marked the end of the attempt made during Operation Epsom to advance to the Orne River. So what's the focus now? Well, the focus shifts to defending what they had, sucking in and destroying as much German armour as possible. In this, the role of the massed medium and heavy batteries of the Royal Artillery continued to be vital. Rapidly deployed and superbly concentrated barrages of shells broke up German counterattacks, inflicting serious casualties. And not to forget, I know I'm a bit... I, I do like the artillery. I, I, I'm very keen on the role of artillery in, in, in Normandy, but the RAF also is, is playing a big role as the weather gets day by day gets better. What are they up to? Well, they're able to harass any concentration of German fighting strength, and sometimes this is to devastating effect. And all this erodes away these German reserves that have been thrown into the battle. Um, and and the German attacks on 29th of June to the 1st of July, that's when, basically, that's when, that's their most focused effort, and after which the fighting starts to ebb away, doesn't it? Uh, and, 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 well, and, well. How, how do we sum up Operation Epsom? Because Hill Woman 2 is part of Operation Epsom. Yeah, I mean, in all, the British had lost around 150 tanks knocked out or badly damaged. Losses that uh, were more than compensated for by new units arriving and tank crew replacements. The Germans, they've been estimated as losing around 120 tanks, which they could not easily replace. Yeah, and Montgomery, always a man to look on the uh, bright side of anything that he's involved with, uh, would later claim that he never intended a breakthrough. Merely, he just desired to suck in and destroy the German armour, uh, which intended, as remember when we started the, the podcast before on Ep- Epsom, this is all about clearing the way, sucking in reserves so that the um, Americans can make their major attack. Um um, well, much of that's an irrelevance. It is, isn't it? I mean, it is legitimate for there to be more than one objective in an offensive. And, of course, there were perfectly valid contingency plans for a breakthrough. Yeah, so it's not wrong that Montgomery did plan for it. Of course he bloody planned for the possibility of a breakthrough. Um, uh, now, the British have a lot to learn from Operation Epsom. I think that's the thing uh, that, that I, I'd like to point out. And the first thing that they had to learn and remember and should have learned anyway is um, is the strength and resilience of German defences. Do you think we'd appreciated how, how what it was? No, I mean, typically it had been badly underestimated. Now... It had also exposed serious problems in the coordination of the tanks with the infantry and artillery units, which was only masked by the overarching ability of the Royal Artillery to dominate the battlefield. So, without the Royal Artillery, uh, there might have been, this might not have had such a happy. Uh, they might have the counterattacks on the flanks of the Scottish. They may have been successful, uh, which would have been terrible. Um, Germans, so so is this a German victory? No, for them too. The Epsom fighting has mixed results. In one sense, they'd succeeded throwing back the attempt to reach the river on. 
So it's a minor attack. They'd achieved that tactical objective. Yeah, but they'd also abandoned their own overall plan of gathering together their panzer divisions ready for the decisive blow to hold back the Allies into the English Channel. Ooh, that's that. Now that is serious. That is, so that's a tactic. That's a real tactical uh, negative aspect to, to, to yeah. this. Instead of that, the second Panzer Corps had been frittered away. To no real purpose, as all their attacks had been blunted. So what are we saying? What are we saying about Operation Epsom? No, no winners? No, for both sides, it's uh, a disappointment. But it's, I hope you're enjoying it. I mean, I find this tank fighting very, very, it, it's, it's very tense. It's very, it's awful. And, uh, and the next episode on Operation Goodwood is, is, is really, really terrible. Uh, and which is where we get the title Burning Steel from, which, uh, I'll remind you again, Burning Steel, a tank regiment at war, 1939 to 45, published by Profile Books back on 12th of May. Your chance to buy should be pretty cheap by now. Uh, and, uh, I hope you're enjoy it uh, 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 I can't get over how much I, we owe to those men who fought in the tanks um, and uh, and whenever I write the, one of these books it's not as you've said it's nothing really to do with me it's I just link the quotes together it's the la- it's the quotes that's the that book isn't it yeah I mean I would expand that to include uh, the debt we owe to all of the the, the services uh, yeah. and and uh, uh, and all the supporting services as well. So it's not just tanks, it's not just the artillery, it's not just the infantry, it's, it's everybody involved. Right, well, uh, thanks thanks for joining me, although I'm in your house, so thank you for having me. Cheers, Pete. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?